Well, thank you so much, Antonio, for joining me today. Really excited to talk about your journey. But before we do, talk a little bit about the genesis of the company, a little bit about your journey. We are three co-founders, and we've known each other since we were five years old. We went to the same primary school, high school, college. And since we were in high school, we started going on volunteering trips to different uh, indigenous and rural communities around Mexico and then around different uh, countries as well. And in these trips, we became very close with a lot of families and learned a lot about their uh, both all of their talents. We were amazed by, by the talent we saw in all of the communities, but also by the levels of poverty and marginalization and also by how climate change was already having a very clear impact there because it's communities that rely a lot on agriculture. So we spent a lot of time uh, in different places, living with families and understanding why living in an indigenous community was almost always a synonym of living in poverty. And because of this, there was a lot of uh, talent, a lot of willpower, but the communities were very disconnected from the rest of the world and from the global market. And that's sure. where we started uh, yeah, seeing that most women were artisans and most men were in agriculture. And the artisan world was very interesting for us to explore. And, and that was like the spark that started everything. So when that, that spark hit you guys, what was then sort of the, the first steps? Did you know you wanted to start, you know, a company, a brand, like a B2C, having artisans yeah. make backpacks or make clothing um, and then sell di direct to consumers? What was, I guess, what were those first steps after you you guys saw the possibility and saw the ability to to create something that would, would help alleviate poverty at some level, you know, using sort of business and commerce? What were those first steps like? Great question. So first we lived uh, during a few summers while we were in college in the communities to really map all of the value chain and understand what were the main obstacles. And there were some very obvious things like the designs that uh, artisans were making didn't match what the rest of the world was wearing. So mm, right. it made their products stay mostly as souvenirs, which is a very small market for the amount of yeah. artisans that exist. A very interesting statistic is that the artisan industry is the second largest source of employment in all Latin America, Africa, and Asia after agriculture. Wow. Um, so that was a big problem. Also, uh, the materials they had access to were very bad quality, very often made of plastic because it's usually the cheapest way to make threads or fabrics. So they were polluting a lot through their products and that pollution was affecting their crops, which is was a very vicious cycle. And also a few other things where they were not very organized. They usually work by themselves. All of them, them make the same product. So their neighbors were their fiercest competitors, and that created a lot of uh, tough dynamics. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, like whenever when a tourist arrived, all of them had to run to see if they could sell something. And right. these were very small communities where people didn't have a lot of friends because of this dynamic. And also, 
maybe the biggest issue was their disconnection to the global market and and the lack of infrastructure needed, like technology, finance, uh, even incorporating as a business, getting a bank account. So we started mapping all of these issues and also trying to understand which markets made the most sense to connect with this amazing supply. In the end, artisan work is one of the most sustainable ways of making products. It's for necessity, but it's once you analyze it, the carbon fruit, footprint is way, way lower compared to most other ways of making products. And we started seeing a very clear path where the world would start needing to source more sustainable products and realize that if we could build the right brand, the right infrastructure, find the right materials, we could create a very powerful solution to the global demand for, for particularly textile products. We decided to focus in textiles because it's one of the most common artisanal techniques and also yeah. because the textile industry is one of the most polluting. So I think that was like the the main idea. And the I think something that has been very clear through our journey is that we were we we were in love with the problem and not with the solution. Uh, <laughs> you know like we were we want to find uh, or build a bridge between this amazing work and uh, the right market, but the how we will try a lot of different things and uh, until we find the right one. So that's how we, we started with the direct to consumer brand. First, we thought we would sell only online and only in Mexico. Very quickly, we realized that Mexico was a small market for the amount of artisans. Just here, just in the country, there are 10 million artisans. Uh, wow. It's wow. huge. Uh, it's not that obvious because they are very scattered in very small communities. Mm -hmm. But once you go there and you see every, almost every woman being an artisan, the number starts making a lot of sense. So that's when, well, also we found that e-commerce in the region wasn't as developed as in the U.S. Yeah. So we had to start opening physical stores in Mexico, which worked a little bit better. Then we we saw, I remember, they would open a lot of stores in Mexico, but there was a very clear ceiling to that. And we started to receive a lot of inquiries from new groups, new artists and groups that wanted to join us. So we, we were like, if, if we don't move toward a bigger market, it's going to be impossible to work with as many artisans as are reaching out to us. So we decided to launch in the U.S. We, we've had like our seed round back then where the plan was to open a lot of physical stores and, and grow our online presence in the U.S. And the month after receiving the funding, COVID hit. So our plan to open stores mm, uh, yeah. wasn't that viable anymore. But very luckily... Some companies like way larger than us started reaching out to see if we could help them change or transform their supply chains and use our model yep. to make yep. some of their products, no? And that's when cool. we realized that the way we were making things, if connected with the right partners and the right brands, could help on the transition to more sustainable and ethical sourcing, which was becoming bigger and bigger. And that's when we discovered this B2B channel. And now we still have the 
D2C brand, but 98% of our revenues come from partnerships with large companies in the US. Wow. Yeah, that's, I remember uh, seeing the press release when uh, you guys decided to come to the US. And then obviously, unfortunate circumstances. Once COVID hit, things drastically changed for a lot of companies, especially, you know, startups in the physical product space. It's just, the dynamics were just were just really unfortunate at the time but the b2b aspect i always look at companies and startups and even if they're b2c you know i always ask like have a b2b plan and model right even if it's not there from the beginning it's such an amazing avenue to have um available if possible and so talk a little bit about you know not necessarily a transition but you know, it was kind of another light bulb moment, I guess, for you guys <laughs> when people started, you know, reaching out and saying, oh, maybe we've been looking at this in a different way. And maybe this is this is the way where we, you know, one as a company, you know, monetize sustainable sustainably, but also have the most impact because obviously, like now you said, 98% of the revenue, you know, comes from B2B. That's consistent jobs. That's consistent impact in, in the community. So what was that transition, I guess, so to speak, like when I guess that first client called, right? Were, were you a little shocked or, or did you see this coming? Well, it, it was, I think, very uh, lucky in a way uh, that we were starting to think about this. And also because after launching in the US, the, the online store and starting to explore it, we realized that. We were amazing at making products and, and creating in a really sustainable way, but that the distribution and reaching so many different people in another country would require a lot of investment, a lot of focus. Yep. And also a lot of very big companies were really struggling to find sustainable ways of making their products at, at scale. That is very important. And we had a very powerful model to achieve this. So the first customer, uh, like we had a few smaller ones, but the first very large one was Delta Airlines. Just after we had decided to start focusing more on, on, on B2B, they reached out and they wanted to change how they made their tickets. And when they, when, when they approached us, they, they were like, we love your model. We have already analyzed it. We think our customers would love it, but we need millions of products. Um, we want to make sure you can make them. So luckily they can fly everywhere. So they came to visit us in the communities. And when they saw our model in person, they understood that it was really scalable, but also that the social impact would be amazing and also the environmental benefits as well as all of our materials are recycled. And we started working with them and it was very clear that this approach of partnering with large companies in terms of the impact that we could generate was crazy. So this was a very good test. And also it allowed us to prove the world that our model was scalable. I think there were companies that were a little bit scared of like, how can you make so many products with artisans in the middle of very remote communities? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and here we were able to show we can make millions of products in with this model and our so far our quality standards the fill rate the delivery the, the on time has been even better than any industrial supplier 
And that has helped us with all the other companies, give them a lot of confidence that we can uh, achieve it. Yeah, that's where I I was taking a Delta flight and, and you know, they give you some time, they give you like a little kit of stuff, you know, and it was, you know, somewhere, someone somewhere on the, on the kit. And I was like, oh, so that, that kind of triggered me kind of wanting to reach back out and, and talk to you because I saw that and I saw, you know, perhaps the transition or, or, or the idea of going B2B. Cause I remember you guys starting out as B2C and I'm just like, oh, this is a great move. And that's kind of what I wanted to, to talk about is like, what do these big, let's say, you know, Fortune 500 companies want? What's the pitch that, that you sort of give them? Or are they already sold when they come to you and they're just like, hey, we want to do this, let's go? Or mm-hmm. do you have to, you know, go out, you know, pitch your idea, pick, pitch your vision, pitch the product? I guess, what do they want from, from, from their point of view? And also just, you know, not to give away any, any secrets or anything, but for other you know, founders looking to, to maybe go a B2B route, how would you, you know, some tips for them to, to talk to these big brands and speak their language a little bit to maybe get that, get them as a client one day? Great question. Well, actually, probably 90% of our customers are inbound. And well, that's great. <laughs> yeah, and it is two main reasons, or well, maybe three, but usually it's a mix of sustainability pressure they they need to change how they make their products just to match what their customers are demanding or and also their own commitments like uh, more than a thousand public companies already committed to become climate neutral by 2030 and they don't know yet how to achieve this at the speed and the scale required another reason is nearshoring we are lucky to be in mexico and a lot of large companies are putting a lot of effort to diversify their supply chains, maybe reduce the risk they have from producing in Asia in particular. And the last bit is branding and, and social impact as well. Like most of what we do is co-branded partnerships where the other brand already has the customer base, the distribution, but when they partner with us, their products get also a very powerful story and their customers get a lot of it helps build a lot of credibility that this art is being made in the right way, that artisans are paid fairly, that the materials we use are sustainable. So those are the three main reasons why large companies are reaching out. And, and also, obviously, by now, we are a very good solution for, for companies that need scale uh, and also affordability. There's already some very cool sustainable alternatives to textiles but a lot are very very expensive and we focus a lot of of efforts on building a solution that competes in price it helps a lot that mexico and the u.s don't have tariffs for for imports Mm -hmm, compared mm -hmm. to asia so so some way we describe is instead of paying all of those taxes that money is what we use to have a very fair supply and also use the most sustainable materials but the cost for the company can be the same as what they are already paying. And also, like this year, well, in 2023, we made more than 10 million products. So for companies, this gives them a lot of peace of mind that we will be reliable and, and we can achieve the the scale they need to achieve their their goals. So all of those are, are the reasons. And regarding... Advice for other entrepreneurs that want to get 
into the B2B space, I would say the very important part is understanding uh, that B2B is a huge space and inside B2B, there are a lot of buckets and it's important. Like at, at first you need, I think, to try a lot of things, but the sooner you understand what is your core customer type, what is their problem they are facing, and, and, and hopefully that problem is a very big pain, you can start building the right strategy. So with us, we already have a few different use cases that are very common. Uh, one is the amenities for like airlines, hotels, spas, etc. Another one is premium brands that want to have a sustainable product line that we can co-develop. Another big one is brands that sell small, expensive products like electronics or cosmetics or glass uh, glasses or stuff like that that want to have a reusable packaging instead of like a throwaway yeah. packaging. They reach yeah. out a lot to us. There's obviously the merchandise world where swag for employees, for events, etc. But each of these, let's call like segments, requires a different approach. It's usually different people who make the decisions. So the sooner you can build those like buckets and, and, and understand why do they want to work with you? Who is their person who usually makes the decision? Also, the larger the company, the more people are involved. Like with some of these large companies, yeah. we talk with maybe 15 or 20 different people for like pricing, lead times, quality, sustainability, social impact, communication. Uh, so knowing or building a product that makes all of the different teams happy is very important and it takes time but yeah. little by little you can understand better and and yeah finding those niches that make sense is super important you mentioned you know mexico and in asia i don't know how much you knew coming into the american market how much stuff was made in asia that came to america versus stuff made right you know in our neighbor Mexico yeah. is not, uh, it, were you shocked by that? And, and I, I know there's a couple, there's some brands out there now starting, have their manufacturing in Mexico. It, it seems, you know, obvious, I guess, but why, I guess, why do you think that it is maybe taking so long for, you know, companies to realize, or even, you know, entrepreneurs locally to realize that, you know, the, the U S and Mexico are such close markets that it, it seems like it just total sense to, yeah, major manufacturing hubs in Mexico versus versus Asia. I think um, there's a few very important reasons. One is in in Asia, a lot of the factories were co-financed by the government or or have very good terms. So that makes the cost of producing in in Asia, particularly in China, very very affordable. The thing is, once you start putting more importance into compliance, into transparency, into sustainability, the the needle starts to move. And also, more recently, supply chain teams have more clarity on the risk of being so far away in terms of like geopolitical risks and logistics potential issues. So that's another reason why more and more companies are, are looking back to Mexico and Latin America as, as an option. 
And obviously the trade agreements help a lot. But I think for a while, producing in Asia was so cheap that it was the best option if you wanted to optimize for cost. Now also, the minimum wage in, in Asia has gone up a lot. And, and now the, even in cost, is, it's, there's a lot of products where Mexico and China are now very uh, similar. So all of those things are making like the trends of nearshoring bigger and bigger. How do you look at, you know, you've, you've pivoted a couple of times, you find a really good footing, you know, at this point, what does the, what does the future, I guess, look like, I guess, what are your maybe three to five year goals, you know, for the company and for the brand? What, what does that look like when you talk to your co-founders and you sort of lay out, you know, a vision for, for the future? Great question. I think we want to be partners with we, we 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 can't work with all the brands that reach out, but we try to pick a few that is very clear. Their goals are aligned with us, and we want to become their partner for textiles in general. A few of the things that excite us the most are uh, circularity. We are mm -hmm. starting programs with very large companies where the products they buy from us are made from their own textile waste. Like they give us that waste and, and we oh, can turn yeah. it into the threads we use. Uh, That's great. Yeah. I, I, we're already receiving, it, it's very impressive the amount of textile waste that a lot of companies generate between uniforms or blankets mm -hmm. or towels or tablecloth. Like most companies generate a lot of waste and that waste Actually, Mexico is an amazing place for recycling it because if if you try to do it in the U.S., the labor is super expensive and some of yeah. the processes are a bit labor intensive. Like you have to cut all of the uh, buttons or zippers or like labels out to process them. But here we already have a lot of recycling infrastructure and we have developed our own materials that use this textile waste as the base uh, to to be manufactured. So we are starting to to work a lot on these types of programs where companies every week, two weeks, month, uh, we we gather all that textile waste and we develop products that they need for their supply chain with their own waste while having a like we use a lot of the like the technique we use the most is pedalum. And and it's a very interesting way of retransforming waste into new fabrics. So that is very exciting. And, and we're seeing a lot, like just in December, six different very large companies reached out, like very like interested in developing these types of programs and, and already sent us what products they want, volumes, etc. And it's something that is not that easy to build from scratch. Like we, we <laughs> spent a lot of time developing it. So that is very exciting. The other thing that excites us a lot is AI. We are using Stable Diffusion, which is the AI tool for image creation. And yep. the moment we learned about it, almost as soon as it was launched, we started getting very deep into it. And now all the products we make are designed with this technology combined with our own materials database. And it's like every week, the, both our data and the models improve so much that we are able to create really, really cool products. And in, in seconds, like now, even in the me in the first meeting with potential partners, we can show right, them right. what we could do together. 
and that is generating a lot of momentum. Yeah, that's that's great to have those visuals, right? Because I mean, that's especially that quickly. Because like you said, everything else takes so much time when dealing with large companies. You have <laughs> so many people yeah. you have to talk to, so many people that has to say yes or, or say no, and the sales sure. cycle is so long when dealing with that. But when you you're able to see early on the visual, right? Even if it's that first meeting, that I think gets gets the ball rolling much faster than historically these big deals might have took so much longer. But now when they see the end product so quickly and instantly, I think it helps them, their decision-making happen much quicker, even at these large corporations. No, yeah. 100%. And even more in our case, because a lot of times it's not that, like I can't explain with words <laughs> how a product yeah. made by artisans will look like, but with an image, it, in a second you get it. And it allows, usually we, there's one champion person or team from the company that finds us and then they are very important to convince the other areas that this makes sense and when they have these visuals because we can show them not only the product even how the marketing campaign could look like Mm -hmm. they have an amazing tool to present to the leaders of the company to other teams and get like that excitement going because Particularly for large partnerships, you need very senior people to be excited. And this helps us a lot. I mean, that helps essentially them do the pitch for you. <laughs> yeah. You know, exactly. which is you just give them the assets and then they can they can go sell internally to their team. And then once, like I said, once they do that, once the senior people are convinced or are on board very quickly, then, you know, that makes that makes it easier for you guys to kind of start to build, right? Start to physically do the things you mentioned that... uh textiles and manufacturing it's sort of been this dirty industry right fashion or textiles even especially at scale locally for the environment you know overall pollution you know maybe job wages have been low and sort of it's just been sort of this industry that has not been associated with fair labor practices or uh clean energy and and clean production how does that look now do are you partnering with manufacturers are you building your own facilities to do this stuff what does it look like from your point of view of doing the you know the physical part of this because you still have to make this stuff right that that stuff still has to happen there's still human capital involved there's machines involved i guess how do you are you guys doing this with your own investment capital with your with your own tools or are you looking at people who already have these facilities built Mm -hmm. and partnering with them Great question. It's a mix. We do have our own facility in Mexico City. It's like our heart, I would say. Like everything gets there and lives from there. But most of the processes, we partner with, like for recycling, we have three very strong partners that depending on the type of material, uh, we work with them. We own like the formulas of the material or, or the yeah, the, the formula, but the production itself, it's made with partners. We have we gather the waste and we can define, okay, from all of the waste, this material goes here, this here, this here, and these are the products we can make. And in this central facility, we cut everything. Uh, we, we found cutting in, in the textile industry is where most of the waste happens. So we can do that with technology to maximize like the usage of fabrics and also the scraps left we can put back into the system. 
And also, if you cut a product correctly, that is the process that has the most influence on the quality. And then all of the assembly, for example, the sewing, we met, we work with other partners for that. And there we focus all on certifying them and ensuring they comply with what we need in terms of payment, in terms of sustainability, safety, etc. So that way we are like building the right mix of partners for each type of product to ensure the right quality, the right cost also, that is very important. And also the scalability required. It's amazing, my man. The last question I'll sort of end on is, you know, now that you're sort of, you know, scaling yourself and, and you're bringing artisans around together from across the country, I, I imagine in, in a lot of different areas, what has like the local response been like, you know, from the artisan community, uh, from organizations who, you know, have reached out locally and maybe they have an artisan group that wants to join? I guess, what is that you, you alluded to earlier, how early on with, with sort of tourism and people coming in, they sort of compete with each other. And it's not, it's not a great sort of social environment, you know, to, to grow economically out of, right? And even, even socially, I guess, what is, what is you know, the company that, that you and your friends have built, done for the artisan community, bringing them together now, rather than having them have to compete for these, you know, minimal dollars, really, now that they, now they have jobs and careers. You know, that, that's a much different landscape to live in to, to grow out of poverty and, and, to, and, and even so, social dynamics amongst friends and stuff in local communities. I guess, what has their response been like? Well, it, it's been amazing. I think we always see this as partnerships with different communities. We bring some things to the table, but they also bring their techniques, their talent, their commitment, it's impressive how committed all of these communities are. And you realize quickly that they only needed an opportunity. Once they get yeah. it, they mm -hmm. do everything to keep it, to grow it. So it's very interesting that most people, say customers, investors, etc., think that's the most complex part of what we do and actually is the easiest. And we have more than 10,000 artisans on the wait list to, to join us. Wow. Um, and it's because in the end, it's extremely better than the alternative, this model, like how much they earn, how easy it is for them. They are able to mm -hmm. work from home and a lot of these artisans are women or even a lot of single mothers that need to stay home to take care of the kids. The family stays united. Kids can stay in school instead of having to work when they are 13 or 14 years old. Yeah, And after... A year or two in each community, you start seeing the change. 90% of the income artisans receive, they invested in improving crucial things like their home, the education, health, nutrition. So it's very powerful to see that, uh, that when they get one opportunity, they use it very, very well. And I think what amazes us the most is that the moment artisans are above a certain point where they have what they need, they start sharing with everyone around. Like we have seen a lot where maybe an artisan group could be producing double of what they are, but they're like, no, with, with this, we are okay. And we want our neighbor community to also have work. So we yeah. are happy sharing it, which probably wow. in most places would never happen. 
Right. So it's a very different way of seeing the world. And for us, it's very clear that the moment they break the poverty cycle, if they are able to keep everything else in place, they are some of the happiest people in the world. Wow. Amazing, my man. Kudos to, to you and your co-founders for, for building what you've built so far. You know, best of luck in the future. Best of luck for, for the next decade and so to come, my man. Congrats on everything so far. And thanks for taking the time. Truly appreciate it. No, thank you, Grant. It was a pleasure.